This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We are on part four of the series, Standing Firm. Everybody say, Standing Firm. And we know three weeks ago, Pastor Bob started that, did a couple weeks, and then uh, I continued it last week. But quick recap, you know, uh, we were talking about how uh, today our, our culture is in many ways making it increasingly difficult to walk the Christian life and to live out God's mission in the earth. Most of you agree with that? Things are changing, right? I've seen it in my lifetime. Um, you know, our, our culture today does not embrace God's values. True. And so, you know, I, that makes me come back and look at us individually as the church of Jesus, as the body of Christ. And, and it's kind of the question that I started last week wanting to answer is, you know, how can we hold fast and stand, for, stand firm in a world that is running completely contrary to our purpose and God's mission in our lives? You know, we talked about last week, if we have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, we'll never be able to steady ourselves and stand firm. Especially when, uh, when you know, our, our society, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of the Lord are actually drifting further and further apart. Like he was saying, the dark getting darker. It kind of reminded me of, how many of you remember um, the cartoons back in the day? Remember Sylvester? He'd be trying to get Tweety Bird, right? And he'd come up on stilts or something and he'd be reaching and the stilts would start coming further and further apart and his legs would be spread until he fell, Right? And that's what I believe it's like for believers today. They're living with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. They're growing further and further apart than ever before. And we will never be able to stand firm. We're going to, be, we're going to fall. We're going to get knocked around by every little wave of life that, uh, that comes against us. Um, last week, I gave you three things. I said, uh, we got to determine who we will be. We, who are you? It's one of the questions I asked. But, but you may be like me and grew up in the church. You know who you are. You're a child of the king. But you've got to come to a place where you determine to take on that identity and to walk it out in your life. We got to determine who we will be. We got to determine who we will worship and we got to determine who we will serve. And it's the only way to stand firm in this life. Again, I told you that um, some of this I'm basing on Chris Hodges' book, The Daniel Dilemma. And I, I certainly, I know a couple of you told me this week that you got that book and I encourage you if you want to dig deeper to, uh, to jump on into that. But but real quick, the three questions I asked last week was who am I? If you haven't determined who you are, then our society will determine it for you. Amen? Amen. The society will, will, our society wants to create something out of us. They're trying to determine who we will be. They want us to look a certain way, to talk a certain way, to have certain interests. And, you know, we, we saw an example of that as we went back and we read in Daniel about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, you know, the, the kingdom of Babylon, they tried to mold them into what they wanted them to be. And it's the same thing that we experience in our lives today. Our culture is trying to redefine everything, gender, relationships, marriage, all these different things. And our society is trying to make anybody who remains faithful to God to seem foolish. Have you seen it? They're trying to discredit the word of God. They're trying to discredit the church. They'll try to discredit you when you try to stand firm. We've all had people in our lives who have tried to place labels on us. Sometimes we've placed labels on ourselves. We've thought, you know, things didn't turn out the way I thought they would. I'm so stupid. I'll never amount to anything. Guess what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Proverbs 23, 7. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We've got to be careful what goes in our heart. We've got to be careful of labels. And does that mean that somebody places a label on you? Does that mean they're responsible for where you end up? No. It just means that you hadn't defined who you were, and you took those words, and you made them part of your identity, and you began to live that out. 
If you don't claim your identity, the world will claim you. Second thing I mentioned last week, the second question I asked is who will you worship? Every human being worships somebody. Every day, every human being bows down to something, whether you know it or not. We're beings that were created to worship. With that in mind, what is worship? Worship is our response to what we value the most. How do I know what I worship? You leave a trail of it behind you every day. A trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, your loyalty. You can very easily find out what you worship. I gave you three gods last week. The spirit of mammon, the god of never enough, the god Baal, who's the god of power and the root of all pride, and the goddess Asherah, the goddess of pleasure. Those are the things that are worshipped in the world today. Like Daniel, if we were put on trial for our worship of God, would we be found guilty? Nothing will satisfy us like worshiping God. And that's why the enemy comes and he tries to get us to worship anything else. And he doesn't come dressed in a red suit and horns. He comes dressed in our desires of our flesh. So we have to be careful what we choose. The question I ended with last week was, who will you serve? We live in a society today that absolutely serves self, right? Selfish. And we get caught in this trap of thinking that even our opinions matter. And what we're doing is making the same mistake that Lucifer did. It's prideful. We think we know what's best. We're making ourselves God. It's all part of the self-sufficiency that our culture promotes. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I don't need the church. I can go it alone. I'm a self-made man. I want to, we want to be in control. We won't want to depend on anybody. We won't commit to anything. We only want to serve one person. That's self. The only way to overcome pride in our lives is to turn from being self-sufficient to being God-dependent. So I want to continue on today. Part four, like I said, you can follow along in your notes. Um, you know, we do have to determine who we are. We got to determine what, what the focus of our worship will be. We got to decide who we will serve. And, you know, and obviously God's got to be the focus of all of that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two more things today that I believe are critical to followers of Jesus standing firm and being who God's called them to be in the earth today. Y'all ready? Number one, number one, be all in. Somebody say, be all in. Be all in. Guys, I think we can all agree that whatever we do, we need to be all in. Whatever we do, we need to give 100% to, right? How can you do that when you got 100 things going on at once? How many of you would say in your life you can look around and you can recognize that you've got too many things going on and that you can't give any one thing 100%? There's only so much time. There's only so much time in a day. There's only so much time in your life. How many of you have come to a place in your life, how many of you have lived long enough that you truly see life passing by like a whirlwind? How many of you have lived long enough to recognize that your days are numbered? I think this is part of the reason why people go through a midlife crisis. They come to a place in their life and they say, oh Lord, my life is probably halfway over. What in the world have I done? Have I done anything of significance? Have I chased my dreams? Have I hit a goal? Have I made any kind of a difference? We come to that place and um, we see it all slipping away. That's what it boils down to, right? We see all the missed opportunities. Another time that people are very aware of their mortality, funerals. Great time to give the opportunity to receive Christ because everybody is suddenly very aware that their days are numbered 
And they start thinking about things that they don't think about very often. Hey, yeah, and you know, I asked how many of you are old enough to see your life passing by, but because when we're young, we think we're going to live forever, right? So we can waste as much time as we want to waste. But as we get older, we start getting a different perspective, and we see life slipping by. It made me think of a, a song. Even if you don't like country music, you've probably heard Tim McGraw's Live Like You Were Dying. Y'all heard that? Very first time I heard that song, and I really listened to the words, I almost brought a tear to my eye. And now they've played it about a gazillion times too many, and it's like, oh, Lord, you know, something else. What's next? But that song is about a guy in his 40s diagnosed with a terminal disease, right? And he's only got a short number of days left to live. And um, I thought I'd sing it, but I, no, I won't. Um, <laughs> I went, Scott. Never mind. Um, but... Just a few of the words. Y'all know the first couple lines there, those of you familiar. I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. But listen to the rest of this. I loved deeper, and I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. I was finally the husband that most of the time I wasn't. I became a friend a friend would like to have. And all of a sudden, going fishing wasn't such an imposition, and I went three times a year, I lost my dad. I finally read the good book. I took a good, long, hard look at what I'd do if I could do it all again. Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Guys, anyway, we look at it, our days on the earth are numbered. And there will come a moment in time when it'll be too late. It'll be too late to love. It'll be too late to forgive. It'll be too late to repent. It'll be too late to go make up with somebody and apologize for those words that you said. It'll be too late to make a difference. It'll be too late to, make somebody, to touch somebody's life. In the book Daniel Dilemma, Chris Hodges mentions, he says that we must choose to live every day with a sense of urgency and purpose. We must put first things first. We've got to be all in. You know, so often I hear people talk about one day. One day, when we're in a better financial situation, we'll commit and get married. One day when I'm older, I'll really dedicate my life to the Lord. One day when I'm not so busy, I'll work on my marriage. One day when I'm in a better headspace, I'll forgive. One day when I'm in less debt, I'll tithe. One day when I've got a bigger home, I'll lead a community group. One day when I know more of the word, I'll witness to my coworker. How many of you know that one day is an excuse? It's an excuse. If we're going to be for Jesus, and if we're going to stand firm in the earth today and make a difference, to be those that witness for Jesus, then one day has to be today. But the first step in moving forward is to address our unbalanced lives. How many of you would agree that it's very easy for our lives to get out of balance? Nobody else but me. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> When somebody says to you, hey, how's it going? How many of you respond with the word busy? I do sometimes. Y'all remember, remember in Daniel, y'all remember when, um, when King Belshazzar, remember when he had the feast and all of a sudden a hand appears? Some of you who are part of our little community group that's reading the Bible through this year, you know we read that this week. Y'all remember when the hand appeared and wrote on the wall? And it wrote in a different language, and nobody could translate it. And he brought in the magicians and the sorcerers and, and the enchanters and the astrologers, and nobody could translate the writing. 
And uh, the queen finally says, I know what to do. Call Daniel. And so uh, Daniel comes in and the king says to him, if you can interpret this writing, then I'll give you a great reward. He said, I'll make you the third highest ruler in all the kingdom. And Daniel's response was, not necessary. You can give the, he said, you can give the reward to somebody else, but let me translate this for you. Let me interpret it. And that's the first thing we're going to look at here, Daniel chapter 5, in verses 26 and 28 through 28. It says, this was what these words mean. It's Daniel speaking. This is what these words mean. Many means numbered. Somebody say numbered. numbered. It says, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. The word tekel means weighed. Somebody say weighed. You have been weighed on the balances and have not measured up. My knees would be shaking at this point if I was his king. Verse 28, parson means divided. Somebody say divided. divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, I know this is a long time ago. This is Old Testament. But what are a couple things that we can learn from this? I, I pulled two things from this. Firstly, how many of you know that, as I've mentioned a minute ago, our days are numbered. We only have so many remaining days, and we've got to begin to view our lives from a heavenly perspective rather than what we feel or what we see or what we hear or how somebody treats us or how we were raised or whatever else it may be. Our days are numbered. Second thing that we can pull from this, how many of you know our lives are weighed? Our lives are weighed. Not only are our days numbered, but we're responsible for how we spend every one of them. Our life will be put on a scale, and our life will be weighed. There's the question. If your life was, if your life was weighed today, whether you're younger or older, what would the scale say? If we looked at how you use your time, would it be out of balance with your life's priorities? Job 9.25, he says, my life is short. What's left, of my, what's left of my life races off too fast for me to even glimpse the good. We know that uh, Job wasn't in the greatest place at this time, but how many of you have been there? You're like, what in the world? Life's moving so fast. I don't even have a chance. The reality is that our hearts are divided and our lives are out of balance. That's what it boils down to. I'm going to read you a quick, um, I, I was looking at this, I was reading back through the Daniel Dilemma this week, and I actually ended up just deciding to read these couple paragraphs. Y'all hang, hang with me for just a minute um, and, and hear this and see if this sounds like your life or, or what we see in our society today. He says, we all know that being out of balance isn't good for us. We not, all know that there are other things that are more important to us than working late, surfing Facebook, or shopping online. We all know that on our deathbed... We all know that no one on their deathbed wishes that they could have spent another hour at Costco. So why do we do it for, to ourselves? For starters, I'm convinced that we have too many choices. Choices of places to eat, things to do, social media platforms to check. Choices about where to go, who to go with, what to wear, when to shop. Choices about what kind of store to browse, what kind of flavor of mustard to buy, and what size container to buy it in. Hundreds of choices every day. Part of this problem stems from the enormous, and social, enormous social pressure we feel to say yes to things that we don't really want or even have the time for. But we want, don't want to disappoint other people, family members, coworkers, bosses, friends, neighbors. And don't forget the social pressure to keep up with the Joneses, 
Someone gets something, and we talk ourselves into believing that we have to have it too. We want to belong to fit in to be as successful or more successful than everyone around us. And then there's that whole financial doctrine of today that says you can have it all and have it now. You may be too young to know about purchasing something on layaway, but instead of putting something on credit, you would put it on hold or layaway at the store. You would make payments over weeks or months, and then when it was fully paid, you'd go pick it up. Today, we do the opposite. We pick it out at the store, we put it on credit, take it home, use it up, and years later, we're still making payments on it. Then we wonder why we never feel caught up on our finances. If we listen to the many voices of our culture, then we also believe we can do it all, that there's no limit to our abilities. So we go without sleep, nutrition, rest, reflection, learning, playing, relating, praying, and then we wonder why we feel so stressed. Our bodies, minds, and souls get conditioned to run on empty, exhausted beyond the limits of what it was created to live, and we can never live under this kind of pressure we weren't intended to. Guys, our culture is working hard to divide us. You can't give 100% to 100 things in your life. Our culture is always attempting to change our priorities. And just like the other things I mentioned, if we don't get our priorities in order, our culture will dictate them for us. We choose or our society does. Our lives function best in their God-given design, not in our culture's driven demands. Proverbs 17, 24. I love the way it's said in, it's, they say it in the Good News translation. It says, an intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. We all have taken action in different ways in our lives. But how many of you would say your life feels so divided sometimes because you feel like you're being pulled a dozen, two different, different ways at the same time? Psalm 39, verse 4 and 5. King David, he says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. It's time to be all in. This isn't a time to waste our lives. We have got to evaluate our lives, and we've got to focus on the things of real value. The things of eternal value. And once we've done that, we've got to make hard decisions about what needs to be eliminated. And how many of you know this too? Something I thought of a couple days ago. The church doesn't talk about a whole lot. But most of us in here would call ourselves followers of Jesus. There's a price to pay to being a follower of Christ. Nobody wants to pay the price. Nobody wants to sacrifice. There's a price to pay. We've got to make the decision that we're going to be all in and we're going, to, we're going to eliminate things in our lives that are keeping us from accomplishing the goals that God has for us. Philippians 3, 7, and 8. I once thought these things were value, valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. We've held eyes as the church. I don't think we've counted enough things as garbage. We've held on so tightly to the garbage, refusing to let it go. We have got to 
recognize the value of forsaking our lives and surrendering our lives to the Lord, the value of being a servant of God. Most people today live very divided lives, and that was the third word that was written on the wall, wasn't it? There's, there was four things in, that, in the Daniel dilemma that he mentions. You want a warning sign that you're living a divided life, that you're living this busy, divided life? Four things. Firstly, sin, sin seems attractive. Guys, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're constantly having to fight the pull of sin, none of us are perfect. We're going to mess it up. But if you've been serving the Lord for years and you're still fighting the attraction to those same sins in your life, something's not right. Because as we mature in him, sin should be less and less attractive. But here's the deal. When we live busy, divided lives... When we're stressed out, our resistance is lowered too, isn't it? It's easier to fall into things. Second thing he mentions, warning signs of a busy, divided life. Your emotions are inconsistent. We all have bad days. We all have bad attitudes sometimes. But if you're constantly going, why did I just say that? Why did I just respond to my wife or my husband that way? Why in the world is my fuse so short? Probably your life is a bit divided. And you need to evaluate, and you need to jump back in, being all in. Third thing he mentions is, you've become less productive. Another warning sign, you're living a busy, divided life. You've become less productive. It just comes from focus on too, focusing on too many things. And you know, we do it thinking that we're doing more, and we almost wear it as a badge. Look at all that I'm doing. And we're not doing any of it well. We're not getting more accomplished, <laughs> Right? Kind of like technology. We look at technology. Man, technology makes life so easy today. We get so much more accomplished when it works, right? It seems like sometimes we spend more time trying to fix it and figure it out, right? Fourth thing, warning sign of a busy, divided life, you can't seem to hear from God. If you can't hear from God, if God seems silent, it's probably because there's too many other voices in your life. There's too many other things drowning them out. You're probably living a bit too much of a busy, divided life, and it's time to reevaluate again. Guys, we got to have rest. This is why God instituted the Sabbath. He knew that we needed time to evaluate our lives and to refocus, to be strengthened. Any way you look at it, to stand firm in God's purpose and plan, you have to be all in. We'll all raise our hand. Yes, I want the Lord to use me but we're only giving them 20% of our life. You have to evaluate everything else in your life, eliminate the things of little to no value, and run hard after Jesus. That's all it is. And I think we try to kid ourselves into thinking that nobody else notices, but guys, the world can see that we're divided believers. They know. They can spot a divided Christian in a moment. People around you, even your coworkers, they know if you're all in for Christ or not. They know it. And if you're not, you'll never stand firm. You're going to be knocked around by every little thing that comes your way. So that's the question is, are you all in? If you're getting knocked around by the waves of life, we've got to be all in. We've got to be willing to forsake everything else. Willing to stand no matter what happens. Willing to be all in. That's number one, be all in. Number two, 
We've got to walk, walk in love, truth, and grace. Walk in love, truth, and grace. I know this is another one that we go, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, we've got to walk in love. But, you know, I look at Daniel. We don't see any indication that Daniel ever tried to hide his faith. Matter of fact, it seemed that he was open with it to each of the kings of Babylon that he served under. He was open with it to the king. We see three of them in the Bible. We know he was served under, under Nebuchadnezzar, under Belshazzar, and under Darius. And, and the writings of Josephus even mentioned one more. But Daniel was living in a culture that ran opposite of his faith, yet he still had a great impact. All without compromising his standards and his beliefs and his faith. And he, we know that King Darius was actually fond of Daniel. And he was the one, King Darius is the one who promoted him and gave him authority and position. Promoted him to places of leadership. Each of us, as followers of Christ, are called to live like this. Yes, I understand that times are getting darker. But imagine Daniel was living in Babylon, folks. You know, we're called to live up to the same standard. We're called to never compromise our faith. Beyond that, it's undeniable in Scripture that each of us, not just those called to ministry, but each of us, each of us are responsible for influencing the world for Jesus. We're to share the good news with everybody around us. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Somebody say, I'm God's ambassador. God makes his appeal through me. It says, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's, that's our purpose in the earth. We're crying out to all humanity. We're crying out and pleading with them to come back to God. And it says that when we do that, we're speaking for Jesus. But as we've said the last two weeks, it's become increasingly difficult. And trust me, guys, like I, like I said last week, it, it, it hadn't gotten hard yet. It's still easier than it is most places in the world to be a believer, to be a follower of Christ. But we also live in a world, in a society that's become increasingly skeptical. And many believers, many followers of Christ today think it's their job to argue. Many believers feel compelled today to get in people's faces, tell them where they're wrong, and demand that they change. They're sharing a faith that's angry. And in many ways, offensive. I think it's offensive to God, too. Why do I think that? Because Jesus called himself the good shepherd. And we see that he was willing to leave the 99 for the one. Our motive for sharing our faith must always be grounded in love. In, with urgency, but it's got to be grounded in love. We know that Jesus connected with people before he corrected people. How do we connect with people? This is what Jesus did. Firstly, I think that we've got to recognize that every, the one thing that every human being desires above anything else, and that's love. Why is that? Because it's the way God made us. Doesn't mean that we have to be every person's best friend, but we do have to show compassion and kindness and honesty in the same way that Jesus did. How many of you remember, how many of you remember Zacchaeus? 
The little man that, yeah, I know, wee little man. The one that climbed a tree to see Jesus, right? You think about Zacchaeus. We know the Bible tells us a few things about him. We know, firstly, we know that he was a chief tax collector. We know the tax collectors were dis- disliked quite a lot, right? He was a chief tax collector. We know that the people referred to him as a sinner because they were criticizing Jesus for going and having dinner with a sinner, right? We know that he had cheated people. He made them pay more than they owed because of how he repented further on in that, in that passage. We know that he made himself rich by taking other people's money. He's probably looked at the same way that we look at a lot of politicians today. He wasn't liked a whole lot, right? Now, the Bible tells us, actually we see here, that obviously Zacchaeus had heard of Jesus. But you know it doesn't say anywhere that he desired to hear what Jesus had to say? It actually says that he, want, he, he just wanted to see him. It says that he climbed this tree. It says he simply wanted to see who Jesus was. So he was just intrigued. He's probably hearing about this guy who's shaking up the region. Who, who in the world is this? He was kind of a shorter gentleman. He couldn't see over the crowds. And so he saw a good-looking climbing tree. And he climbed on up there to try to get a glimpse of who this guy was and what in the world he was doing, right? Jesus, we know, reaches out to him. Jesus shows interest in him, spends some time with him. He he invited himself to his house for dinner. That's kind of cool. I was just thinking, we need to film a video one day. Maybe I can get Dave to do that. Walk into Walmart and walk up to somebody and say, Hi, my name is Dave. I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. Just see how they respond. I think that'd be pretty cool. But, um, but Jesus invites himself over for dinner um, and, and spends some time with him. I think that many believers today think that they can change somebody's life if they can just have the her- person hear a good enough sermon. I've heard of people who have heard a good message, message at church and they get it on CD and they run it home and they nag their unsaved spouse and nag them and nag them and nag them to listen to this because they think it's a magical formula that's going to make this person's whole life turn around. Folks, let me break it to you. Nobody cares what you have to say. They don't care. You not realize that yet? People don't care what you know. People don't care about your opinions or your convictions. They don't care. Y'all looking at me wide-eyed like, what? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But there's one thing every person wants to know, and they want to know if you care. If they see that you care, it changes everything. Now, all of a sudden, they'll be open to what you know and what you have to say. In everything we do, we've got to realize that love is the only thing in this world that can bring real change. We've got to recognize that with all people, we have to walk in love. This is walking the talk. If we're going to talk about the love of Jesus, we need to show the love of Jesus. We have to look at people through the eyes of Jesus. Today, many believers, they encounter certain people. They look a certain way or live a certain lifestyle. And believers can't even look them in the eyes. Is it not true? You're just like, hmm. Have to go the other direction. We don't want anything to do with them. 
We have to show that we love and value people regardless of who they are or what they think about us. How many of you know you have to earn a person's respect before you can build relationship? And you've got to build relationship in order to gain influence. That's why it doesn't do much good to stand on street corner and yell, turn or burn. That's why you guys have seen on TV this Westboro Baptist Church who stands on street corners with signs saying, God hates you. They're a laughing stock. Instead, we've got to love people. We've got to talk to people. We've got to tell them, guess what happened to me? You'll never believe what's happened in my life. We're not called ever to be God's judge and jury. We're called simply to be a witness, telling people firsthand of what God's done in our lives. We have to invite people to join us on the journey. we got to walk with them. Talking to them isn't enough. Maybe you need to invite them to your community group. we got to continue to show them that they're valuable to us by getting involved in their lives, by actually letting them into ours. we got to help them find the answers to their questions. we got to assist in meeting their needs. Trust me, you do those things. People are going to see God working in their lives. It's going to be undeniable. And don't get me wrong, we've always got to proclaim the truth. And we can never compromise in the slightest. But it's the delivery and the motivation that must always be based and grounded in love and in grace. No other motive than to point people to Jesus. You know, I'm talking about this in standing firm. But it's standing firm and being who God's called us to be. Guys, the church, in many ways, has lost a lot of its influence in our nation today. It's because there hasn't been enough love. The world, much of the world, doesn't want to hear anything the church has to say today because we've lost a lot of this love. It's knowing who you are, who you worship, and who you serve. And yeah, the world does seem to be dark. But you can make the light shine brighter than ever before. By allowing Jesus to live through you. How's that possible? Back to Daniel real quick. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It said, says here, It pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. Now, satraps were, they were basically like governors. So Darius was too spread then. He broke the kingdom of Babylon down into 120 sections and put a satrap over each one. Make sense? And then verse 2, and with three administrators over them. So he recognized he couldn't manage 120 people well. So he made three administrators to oversee these 120, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Another ver- uh, translation says to protect the king's interests. And verse 3 says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps. Now, the, the, um, the administrators, the three over the satraps, right? He so distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Let me give you one more quote from, uh, from the Daniel dilemma. It says here, after this scripture, it says, Notice that it doesn't say Daniel was naturally distinguished, that he was unique or special. But the Bible says that he distinguished himself with exceptional qualities that impressed the king and the king's leaders. Being distinguished 
often comes from someone's appearance, natural ability, or quirky personality. While distinguishing oneself typically, typically relies more on what you do and how you do it. The difference is important because it means that we can also distinguish ourselves through our attitudes, words, and behaviors. We don't have to be a super saint or a perfect Christian. These exceptional qualities were nothing special or unusual to Daniel. They all emerged on display because he simply followed God and remained firm in his faith. As a result, the king gave Daniel even more influence. Guys, Daniel was a prisoner of war. He was basically a slave to the king. In the midst of a wicked culture. How much more can we stand firm in the faith and be an influence today? How much more? We're a nation that's founded on God's principles. Doesn't always look that way. But guys, we have a huge advantage over Daniel. The more time we spend with the Lord, the more others will see him through our words and actions. How many of you would agree that it's time for the body of Christ to begin to stand up and take its rightful place in our society today. It's time for us to stop walking in fear, stop being intimidated, stop being divided, to be all in and be who God's called us to be. If the body of Christ would stand up with one voice, knowing who it was, the body of Christ, knowing who, he, who she is, knowing who she worships, knowing who she serves, and being all in for Christ... Walking in love, the world could be a different place tomorrow. The Bible gives us plenty of examples to follow. Another similar story, y'all know one of my favorites is Joseph. Look at the story of Joseph and how he stood firm. Those of you reading the Bible through chronologically this year with us, we read about Joshua and Caleb this week. Man, they stood up to some pressure. And then obviously, as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, is Daniel. These are people that refused to be moved. They refused to compromise. The only side they stood on was God's side. To stand firm, we've got to determine who we will be, who we will worship, who we will serve. We've got to determine what is of eternal value. We've got to be all in for the Lord 100%. And in everything we do, we've got to walk in love and in truth and in grace. We've got to stand firm like Daniel in the world today. And God will use us and give us influence like we've never seen before. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up on our feet. Let me get the worship team to come up. We're going to start closing out here. Let me get everybody. Let's just, as you stand up, let's let's just bow our heads. And let's just begin to just, just focus our hearts, our minds upon the Lord for just a moment. As I believe that the Lord is going to, I believe there's some of you here today, the Lord's got a breakthrough ready for you. You found yourself in a place, maybe you've been a believer for years, but you find yourself in a place where you feel like you're not making any kind of a difference. You look back on your years as a follower of Christ. And you think, what have I done? Guys, the Lord has things for you to do today. 
He has a purpose and a plan for your life. It's not time for us to waste another moment. It's time for the body of Christ to rise up to its rightful place in the earth. And let me tell you, that's you. That's you. Before we do that, before we go any further with that, let's just bow our heads for just a moment. And first and foremost, if you're here and you have never received Jesus, you've never surrendered your life, I'm not talking about you've prayed a prayer before. If you know that your life is not surrendered to Christ and that you need to do it today, I plead with you, don't wait another moment. This moment is for you. We're gonna, we are gonna pray a prayer together in just a second, but I want you to understand this is about the position of your heart. If you recognize you're in a place where your heart is not surrendered to Christ, I encourage you right now to begin Begin turning your heart, positioning your heart to receive them, to make a hard decision that you're not going to live for yourself one more day, that you're going to be all in and you're going to go hard after Jesus, that you're going to walk in his love, that you're going to take your rightful place in the kingdom, that you're going to worship and serve God and God alone all the days of your life, that you're going to allow him to lead and guide you to make a difference. So that when, when it comes time for you to take your last breath on this earth, you won't be wishing for more days. You won't be wishing for do-overs. You're going to be happy that you stood for Jesus and that you're about to see him face to face. That can be you. With every head bowed, if that's you and you would say, I have got to surrender my life today. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to bring you up front. If that's you and you would say, I've got to surrender. Let me just, just lift your hand up. Who would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today? All right, we're going to pray a prayer together real quick. Understand it's not about the words. It's about the commitment of your heart. If you do say these words and you mean them with all that you are, the Bible says that you become a new creation. You're translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Everything can change. It doesn't mean there's going to be no more hard times. Of course there's going to be hard times. But you can be assured that from this point onward, the king and creator of the universe, that he's going to walk with you hand in hand. He's going to be your coach. He's going to be by your side. And he's going to be saying, we've got this. Come on, follow me. Another step. You can make it. You'll experience joy like you've never experienced before. You'll find hope that you've been searching for. Let's all pray together. together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I recognize that without him, I'm alone. I have no hope. I have no future. But today, I repent of my sin. I repent for trying to go it alone. I repent for thinking I know what's best. And today, I declare that Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died in my place. You took my punishment so that I could have life. Today, I call you my Lord. Holy Spirit, Fill me and empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I will serve you all the days of my life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just, let's just worship for just a moment. Y'all just, y'all just begin to press in. sides here. I just feel the Lord wants to do a couple things real quick. Guys, firstly, there's some of us here we truly need to repent. Guys, you can't be all in if you're holding things in your heart that shouldn't be there. I feel like there's a few that are here today you may have been a follower of Christ for a long time but you totally recognize that where you find yourself today you're not all in and that your life is divided. And the answer is to repent and make a change. And I just feel the Lord saying that if you will recognize in this moment, I, I, I believe that there's some of you here, you feel the Lord tugging at your heart. You totally know, you totally know that it's you. And you need to commit. You, you didn't need to surrender your life to Jesus again. You know that you're a follower of Christ but you recognize that where you stand right now, you're not all in. And I just hear the Lord saying that he wants to touch your life, that he wants you to make a decision and he will affirm that decision as you come up and you allow somebody to stand and agree with you. And I want you, as you come down here in just a minute, I want you to tell a person, say, I want to be all in. I recognize that my life is divided and I've got to change. I believe you're going to find the breakthrough that you've been looking for as you come and you do that. Lord, I just thank you for who you are, that you are worthy. As we sang about earlier, God, you are worthy of our praise. And we just say today, God, that we surrender our lives completely and totally to you. Lord, we don't want to be bystanders. We want to jump in. We want to be all in. We want you to use us to make a difference, to shake this society, to change the United States of America, to shake our region for Jesus. And Lord, we recognize that we have a part to play. And Lord, we repent of those places in our lives we have held back from you for that garbage that we've been unwilling to let go of, that we've held on to so tightly. And we choose to let go today. Lord, we determine within ourselves that we will be who you've called us to be. We take on the identity that you have chosen for us. 
not the labels that have been placed on our lives, not our insecurities, not our fears, not our emotions, not what we think is fair. Lord, we take on your identity that you laid out for us before the foundations of the earth. God, we choose that we will serve and we will worship you and you alone all the days of our lives in Jesus' name. That we will be all in and we will walk in love and fulfill the great commandment and the great commission in the earth today. Lord, we recognize that we are the church and we will not stay silent any longer. But we will step into what you have. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.